0: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Voices of Sitka Kwan. I'm Avery Hirman Sakamoto, and today we'll be listening to a conversation about traditional Llingit foodways with renowned fry bread maker and longtime Sitka Kwan resident, Mary Katasmiller. Mary is interviewed by her cousin, Deborah O'Gara, and I sat in on the conversation and threw in a couple questions, too.
1: Okay, I'm Deborah O'Gara. My Clinket name is Jujuk Sook. I am um, newly arrived to Petersburg about three years ago, and prior to that I was um, living in Juneau, and my um, ancestors, my family, is from Wrangell, just across the, the um, channel, and I am a member of the Tiaton clan, which is a Wrangell clan.
2: I'm Mary Katans-Miller, and I arrived in Petersburg in 1960, been here ever since. I was born in Wrangell. That's how I know we were cousins. And um, and I grew up on subsistence. That's what we're going to talk about. Yeah. Because there were ten, 10 children in the family, and um, my dad was a fisherman.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we are, as Mary said, we are cousins, and... And we actually, we tease each other all the time, and it, like, worries people. You guys are arguing. We're not really arguing. We're just teasing each other. Yeah. (laughs) So I have a question, which, um, and this, I don't know when this is going to be aired, but, um, you know, you are, um, you have gotten to have a really good reputation for um, fry bread making. Yes. um, All over Southeast, as far as I can tell, because people, you know, just, Getting lines for your fry bread. So when did you start um, making fry bread?
2: Actually, I started when I was living in Sitka, and uh, it must have been 1990, something like that.
1: So you've been making fry bread ever since. So my question, I think, because we're today we're going to be talking about traditional Native foods, is fry bread traditional?
2: Well, as far as I know, it is because I've been doing research, and there are other Native Americans down south that fry bread, too, Mm -hmm. and it just so happens that um, I learned from a cookbook because my mother did not know how to cook. Mm -hmm. My dad was a cook in the family, and then... I am making fry bread. My sister used to make fry bread and my brother is now in Anchorage. Nice. Yeah.
1: So I actually asked you that question because I get asked that question a lot about whether or not fry bread is a traditional or is a traditional native food or not. And it actually has become or has evolved into being a native food because um, and even though we didn't have reservations here in Alaska but Reservations down south were given government commodities, and the government commodities was flour, lard, and sugar, and that's the basics. Uh, basic recipe for fry bread dough is flour, oil, and sugar, and yeast. But um, so it was part of the um, reservation life that um, introduced government commodities and and that that recipe is just spread across the country including
2: here in Alaska don't you think? I think so and everybody asks what is my recipe my recipe is from Betty Crocker Cookbook and I always call her my sister Betty Um, and like you said people that stop by my booth say I'm from Prince of Wales and I've never had it this good or I'm from Wrangell I'm going to take some back and and I and I believe them. I believe what they said because I was featured in the Juno Empire selling fry bread at Celebration one year, and I was also in the Alaska Magazine, and they interviewed me and Sitka.
1: Okay. So let's get off of fry bread for a little bit because we really are here to talk about native traditional foods which I see to be clams and gumboots and fish and uh, crabs and things that come out of the sea, or berries, right? So are those things that you eat too?
2: Well, actually, when my dad was alive, um, we ate everything from the sea and the land. Like um, We ate wild celery, which they call it no- nowadays, but back then we knew it as yanae, which is our Tlingit language for wild celery. And then we used to live, when we lived in Wrangell, we lived out the road, three miles out the road, and close to the beach, and we used to eat um, uh, mussels. And back then it was, to me, it was poor man's food. Today, it's a delicacy for everybody. Mm-hmm. So I did grow up on native food because um, because there was ten mouths to feed and because it saved on their grocery bill and um, they taught me how to prepare it and I do it I still do it to this day but I don't gather the cockles the mussels the gumboots. what I do is I barter if. They're not willing to barter. I show them on the money, <laughs> and that seems to work. Mm-hmm. Good.
1: So, Mary, a lot of times you, I call you and say, "What are you doing for dinner? Let's go grab some a pizza or something." Or, um, and you say, "No, I've already got dinner. I'm eating Indian food tonight." What do you mean when you say what's? Or maybe I should ask you, what's your favorite uh, Indian food or
2: native food that you call it? Actually, I don't have a favorite because I, because I was born with a natural taste, but everything tastes delicious to me. And, and, um, when I go to Juneau, my brothers always supply me with native food. I came back with smoked hooligans, plain hooligans, um, which my brother Timmy gave me. And, um. And then I um, contacted a niece in Juneau, and I said, hey, I'll bar- barter gumboots for cockles. And she looked at her Freeze! She didn't have any. I thought, oh, that's okay. I'll get it someday. Anyway, I had it the first day, and I'm thinking yesterday, hey, I need to bring out more because I'm still hungry for it. <laughs> and so... Um, and so... My pastor supplies me with um, fish, and he's been giving me salmon. And he knew that I, in our culture, we waste not, want not. And so he knew that I wanted the backbone from a halibut in the tail, because I can take those. And smoke it. And so uh, so I'm going to get it before the end of the month anyway. And so today I went over to Diane's because she texted me. She said, hey, I got some salmon berries for you. And I said, I'll be right down. So I walked down and, and I posted on Facebook the salmon berries she gave me. And I said, I'm going to prepare it the way my dad did for us. He added a little bit of sugar, seal oil, smushed it up, and it was dessert, dessert for us. Mm-hmm.
1: So, for those that might not know what a gumboot is, can you tell us what that is? No. <laughs> Does it come from the sea? No.
2: <laughs> no. It, You can find it on the beach. Mm -hmm. It is black and it has a lot of shells on the back of it. And it seems to um, clamp to the rock and you have to take a knife or whatever, butter knife, to get it off the rock. And so um, that's what it is. Okay.
1: So it's like a barnacle, but bigger and stronger and... And clings to the rocks really hard with a big, huge muscle.
2: Actually, um, it is a delicious barnacle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. um, and I say that because I was so happy to get some. And then I have a friend that lives out of Point Agassiz, and she said, We have a lot out here, and she has five children, so she's going to send them to the beach to get me some. And in exchange for that, I had some books on Facebook. And I said, if you do that, I'll give you these books, okay? So we made made a fair exchange.
1: Very good. And the other um, other fish that you mentioned was, um, now I just gave the answer away, it's a fish. Um, what is a hooligan? What does it look like and what does it taste like?
2: A hooligan looks like similar to a herring, or um and each fish has its own individual taste and hooligans are mostly up north near Haynes. And you can smoke it, you can steam it. And and I'm gonna go home and make some. <laughs> <laughs> Is this interview making you hungry? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Me
1: too. <laughs> And is the hooligan um, smoked like, um, for instance, like sardines sometimes get smoked and, and canned in oil, like those ones that you get in the grocery stores, Is it like that, and you eat them whole?
2: Actually, um, I very seldom eat sardines, but I don't think they can it. I think they preserve it by um, smoking it so the outer skin kind of um, develops a a crust over it, and then throw it in the freezer. And um, and my brother Juno didn't do that. He didn't preserve his own hooligan. What he took it was he took it to a meat market, and they put it in seal meal and threw it in the freezer for him. Hmm. So you could do that too. Yeah, you can.
0: If you're just joining us, this is Voices of Sitka Kwan, a collaboration between Petersburg Indigenous Awareness Committee, KFSK Community Radio, and the Petersburg Public Library. Today on the show, we're listening to a conversation between Mary Katas Miller and Deborah O'Gara about traditional Hlingit foodways.
1: So do you remember um, any of the traditional foods that you ate as a Um, little girl or a young adult that you can't get anymore?
2: Actually, thinking about that um, question, I think I can get whatever I ate back then now because I have developed resources from people to get it for me. Like, for instance, um, someone in Heidelberg will get me seaweed, and there's certain times to get seaweed. I asked my cousin, when can you not eat seaweed? And he said, when the tip is white. He said, but you can break that part off and still preserve it. And like I said before, we eat everything off on what was killed during harvest season. And I grew up knowing that, that my parents would say, you know, would thank the animal. And my brother even told me this. Thank the animal for letting them shoot shoot them to put meal on a table.
1: And do you still do that today?
2: I do, but I ask, I ask other young people and they don't seem to know the tradition. But I grew up knowing that it is the right thing to do it's what they taught me when i was small mm-hmm. yeah so
1: we've talked a lot about stuff that's come from the beach or the sea is there any other native foods that you like to eat or remember eating that
2: um, aren't not from the sea dear i very seldom eat moose meat because um, we hardly get it here here I don't have anyone to go out moose hunting for me, but um, I've tried that and I, and I like it. And I um, I like to eat from the sea and the land because they they don't have preservatives in them, and and I give myself credit for doing that because. Uh, because when you look at me, I don't have that much wrinkles. And so <laughs> I, um, I took that as a, hey, that's what the preservatives does. They give you wrinkles. So I, I very seldom buy meat or anything from the store. It's always um, seafood.
1: So you'd rather have a piece of halibut than a, than a um, T-bone steak or a ribeye steak?
2: I very seldom have that unless I go to South Dakota and my Mm -hmm. children, they raise uh, black Angus there. And um, I very seldom have beef and um, lived off seafood. And another subsistence food we prepared was uh, seal. I grew up um, learning how to preserve seal, preserve and make seal oil. And um, if I want to border for something that I don't have, I usually uh, convince them and um, tell them, hey, I've got a pint of seal oil, or I've got a a quart of seal oil for two quarts of gumboots, and that seems to work. And then about three weeks ago, I prepared black seaweed, because it's a time of the year for it. But now that season is over with, but I enjoy um, um, preparing the seaweed and I, and what I do is um, after someone gives me seaweed that they picked, I semi-dry it and then grind it up in a grinder and then lay it out to dry. And before it dries, I sprinkle on clam juice over it. But um, I'm very particular about uh, how I prepare the native food because any type of food will attract flies. And so when I'm out there working in the back porch, I turn on my fan and I do it that way.
1: So, um, Mary, did you raise your children here in Petersburg with eating traditional foods like you were raised?
2: I did, and I and um, my children are just like you, Irish and Clinkett. And and one is um, a redhead, and the other one has dark hair like me. And so, when she found out that I was preparing gumboots, I asked her, I always ask people, do you like this? So I can get an idea and I don't like to waste them. She, I asked her, do you eat gumboots? And she said, oh yeah, bring some down, okay. So I did. And then um, my other one, I didn't realize that she ate herring eggs, And she said, Mommy, when you were catering in Sitka and had these pickled herring eggs in the refrigerator, I would help myself. And so I I was happy about that because um, Native people are born with taste buds that uh, adapt them to eat um, their own subsistence food. They grew up eating their native food I can remember one time my son was in high chair, and I gave him a gumboot, and he said, what is this, twain? It flew up in the air. He threw it on his high chair table. <laughs> and it bounced? <laughs> it, and it bounced up in the air. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Do you have, is there anything else about um, your foods that I haven't asked you about?
2: Let me see, I think we talked about gumboots, seaweed, smoked fish, black cod, of course no. Well, we didn't talk
1: about black cod, but that's my favorite, one of my favorite fishes.
2: And their Norwegians seem to like it too. And I and I had um, someone give me black cod, and what I did was I put it in a little cheese smoker and put it in seal meals for the winter. So all this is preserving our food for the winter mm-hmm. as we grow up, learning what to do. Right.
0: What's your favorite way to have black cod?
2: I don't know. Um, that um, My favorite way is just to steam it, to braise it, not to boil it, and with potatoes. And um, and it seems to me that the Norwegians eat what they call lutefisk. And uh, I went over to my uncle's one day, invited to a lutefisk dinner, and he had a lot of butter on the table. And I said, I should have bought my seal oil if you're going to use that on lutefisk. It tastes just good. But... um I very seldom eat lutefisk because I don't know who to ask for it, but I I love my black cod, and I shared a slice with um, Van Driver, Ron Weir, because he said he liked it too. And, uh, and I like to share it because I like to see people happy when they get their native food.
1: So my favorite way of of I, I and I don't have it's two different ways so and I would have trouble picking so smoked black cod is the best just melts in your mouth and then I like to just put it in the oven and almost roast it or or um, broil it um, with a little um, soy sauce and brown sugar mixed um, coated over the top real lightly that just to really just good. to sweeten it up a little bit.
0: Do either of you like gathering berries, like salmon berries, thimble berries, red
2: currants? I do. And actually, I can't go outside and pick the berries because I'm allergic to bug bites. And so Diane uh, texts me today, Hey, you want some salmon berries? And I said, sure, sure, I'll be right over. So I walked down there, and I, and that's when I came back. And I decided, I'm going to fix it the way my dad taught us. Well, back then, we would also jar um, the salmon berries to preserve it. And, it. and I can remember opening up a quart of salmon berries and berries, mixing it together. And I can remember also that my dad's favorite berries were huckleberries, and great currants.
1: Yeah, I love berry picking and I'll I'll just pick as many as I can and I it's a it's a challenge to not eat them all right away because I really do want to do what Mary does is, and that is clean them up and um and freeze um and put them in the freezer for winter so that I can have them. I've also used, done um, done bartering with the berries. I'll go pick the berries and then give them to somebody to make jam with. When my mom first moved um, up to back up to Alaska it was maybe um 10 15 years ago and um, I was she moved up to live with me and um, and I lived in Juneau at the time and she grew up in Mountain Village which is up on the YK Delta and the blueberries up there all are tundra level. <laughs> you have to get down on your hands and knees and she remembered picking berries and not just blueberries but up there in the tundra there's all, there's lots of berries and so she grew up gathering berries as a kid and so when she got settled and it was summertime I said, Come on, we're gonna go up to up to the mountain and get some blueberries and so I parked the car and climbed up into the into the woods and we each had our berry bucket and I started picking and keeping an eye on her and she's looking down at the ground. She goes, I don't see any berries, and I walked over to her and I said, lift your head up, <laughs> <laughs> because here in Southeast, the berry bushes are at eye level, and she was looking down at the ground for, and it was, we, la- we still laugh about that today. <laughs> she, she will tell that story for, for, forever, for as long as she lives, she'll tell that story, it's really funny. And, of course, the blueberries here are a little bit bigger, but I'll tell you, the ones that are in the tundra, they're so sweet. Oh, they are the best. So, Mary, you don't have to answer this question, but it's top of my mind. You're getting ready to move to South Dakota so you can be close to your grandchildren, right?
2: Okay, the cat's out of the (laughs) bag. And besides
1: besides all of us going to be missing you, my question for you is you love your native food so much what are you going to do? Are you going to come back here, and or are we going to have to mail you stuff?
2: Well, actually, I already solved that problem by gathering my native food, preserving it in seal meals, mm-hmm. and I know that if I run out of food and I have the opportunity to come back, that I can sleep on your sofa, right? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Absolutely. <laughs> Now I'm getting
2: hungry. Yeah.
0: I know I'm hungry. Let's go home and eat. (laughs) (laughs) And a big thank you to Mary and Deborah for coming in and sharing their experiences with us. You can find the full episode, as well as past shows, at kfsk.org, on Spotify, Apple Media, and sitkavoices.org. As for elsewhere in Sitka a segment in our show where we announce Indigenous-centered PSAs. Um, It looks like we have two PSAs. So, the Sitka Tribe of Alaska is asking anyone interested in herring eggs to fill out a brief survey to better understand the distribution of herring eggs and the needs of communities around the state. Respondents will be entered into a drawing for up to $300. Please share the survey with anyone who might be interested. And you can find the survey on the Petersburg Indian Association Facebook page or at www.tinyurl.com slash sharing And the PIA Basic Needs Project aims to provide assistance to people and families who require help and supplies eligible members with toiletries and cleaning supplies. There is no deadline and it is open to all enrolled tribal members at Petersburg Indian Association. You can find the application at piatribal.org. Thank you so much for joining us for Voices of Sitka Kwan. Voices of Sitkaquan is recorded and produced on Thlinkit Ani, the historical homeland of the Thlinkit people, but also the current homeland and the land that holds their future. Thank you for joining us for Voices of Sitka Kwan. This show is a collaboration between the Petersburg Indigenous Awareness Committee, KFSK Community Radio, and the Petersburg Public Library. It is made possible, in part, by a grant from the Institute of Museum and Library Services and the Alaska State Libraries, Archives, and Museums. It is also made possible by the generosity of our participants, including the volunteers on our content committee. We thank them for their enthusiasm and dedication. To participate in Voices of Sitka Kwan, contact Kari Peterson at the Petersburg Public Library. Archives of shows can be found at sitkavoices.org. That's S E T K A voices.org, as well as on Spotify and Apple Media. <laughs>
2: the to the ostrich, knock up to the dot. hey, to a town. Hey, 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 hey. We